Welcome, this is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Welcome back to another edition of Dirt to Dollars. It is the week of August the 10th, and I'm joined this week again by Daniel in LaRue County and Matt in Hardin County. How are you guys? Hey, doing good. Doing good. Yep. We had a little bit of rain and it, it, it got real hot and it was really nice last week and then it got real hot yesterday and had a little rain and now we're, I think it's back up to humid again, isn't it? Yeah, it was kind of, I thought it was kind of hot over the weekend too. Yeah, it did. Unfortunately. Got a lot of, got a lot more rain, I think for the most part. Not everybody got it all, but yeah, seems like we got quite a bit of rain, but I think we missed out on the wind. That was what I was going to say. I'm yeah, glad we didn't get the wind. Everybody was crossing their fingers last night as that was coming through uh, after seeing the pictures out of Iowa and Illinois yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rough. I, you know, I feel for those guys out there. It seems like the hits just keep coming for a lot of different, from a lot of different perspectives. But it's did you all catch what time. the name of that storm was? Derecho. Like, Derecho. Derecho. Isn't that a weather event? Isn't sure that what that's Spanish. called? It's Spanish for um, straight. Straight line winds. So straight, straight line, line winds. Yeah. And That's it looked like. It, yeah. There's like your we, fun fact of the day. Yeah. Science fact. <laughs> I hope I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was, I think I saw a picture of the satellite image from where you could see it where it had gone through and it was a lot of corn acres in Iowa that were hit yesterday. So, yeah. So I saw that too. And I'll, I'll admit I was a little skeptical because you get on all these websites and stuff and Mm -hmm. farmers will be the first one to it. It kind of blew my mind on Twitter. How many times you kept seeing the same picture pop up Mm -hmm. and you know, people just scrolling through there and think, man, that's a lot of fields of corn that are laying flat on the ground, but a lot of it's same picture, same, same field. But, uh, it kind of made me wonder if it was something like that, that it was, you know, it was just pockets and people were Mm -hmm. sharing it and it wasn't as widespread as they were talking about, but then seeing that satellite image, that's kind of hard to, hard to deny. A lot of acres. So but it was, I guess it's, it's yet to be determined what kind of impact it's going to have on markets. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we think it would, but it probably won't, or at least not yet. So well, we were, we were up a little bit overnight, uh, last night, the 10th, the morning of the 11th, just a couple cents, I think. And I don't know if that was maybe just some initial shock. Uh, some people thinking that I think we ended up closing a while ago about even for the day. So well, and we're going to talk with Chad Lee a little bit later about corn contests and a few things. So we'll chat with him too about, you know, what his, what progress is around the state and if it's likely to affect, because if we have a great crop year and the prices are not that great, then, you know, what's it all for? Well, that's better than a, than a poor crop year and the prices still that's aren't true. Right. That's true. And I think Chad's going to touch too on maybe that corn that got knocked over in Iowa. There mm-hmm. may be still a slight chance it could be okay but it's not looking not looking too favorable up there for them and another thing to kind of point out on that is you know there's a lot of western and kind of west central iowa that's been extremely dry Mm -hmm. uh i mean dry by iowa standards usually we say like a a normal weather for kentucky would be they'd call it a drought in 
in Iowa, but yeah, uh, I mean, stuff pretty burned up. And and that storm came across there, but from what I've seen, I don't think it dropped a whole lot of moisture there. It, they just got the wind, and then it built up, and the the rain and wind was across the part that really wasn't that dry. So, yeah, uh, kind of a double whammy for that state, I think. And and a lot of grain bin damage. Yes. Yeah. So even if you can get it in a bin or get it harvested somewhat after it dries down, where are you going to put it? And a lot of that was commercial storage from what I'm seeing and hearing. Saw a lot of marketing guys on Twitter and stuff last night, you know, kind of asking the question, what do you, what do you do with a crop this fall? We're four or five weeks out from harvest there and, uh, where are those guys going to go with it? Is it going to change the dynamics of where grain gets shipped? And what's that do to basis levels both there and and even as far away? I mean, it might affect our basis levels. And I don't really even know enough to know if it's going to affect it positively or negatively. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. And I'm reading here where somebody said something about 42% of Iowa's crop was affected maybe. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's legitimate or not. I'm just reading, you know, but it, if that's the case, that's quite a bit. It's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. So Speaking what else? of big chunk, did y'all like the Goonies? Yeah. Never say die. Do did what? you ever watch okay. the Goonies? Chunk. No. Mm-hmm. Chunk, you know, the guy that well, does the belly I, dance. I could probably do it, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah, it's not good for radio. <laughs> To, you know we can't see <laughs> oh goodness gracious yeah he good does movie. a little dance yeah it's a good movie my the, kids the love tru- it the the what is it the truck trunk shuffle what do they call that dance truffle shuffle truffle shuffle yeah mm-hmm. there you go yeah i have no idea what y'all are talking about hey you guys hey, you guys dang it you stole it i was getting ready to do it yep hey you guys oh you're missing out matt you need to watch oh, it live awesome. a little Live a little, so yeah. Well, what I mean, about you know, it? like those movies now, like the eighties, like that's a cool thing, mm-hmm. right? Like all these shows and yeah, like movies are trying to tap into the eighties and and be cool again because that's when all the cool things were started, right? In the mid eighties, yeah. Because yeah. we're all from the mid mid eighties. I was gonna 80s, say the best things happened in the mid yeah like mid to late eighties. <laughs> Y'all speak for yourself with that mid eighties talk. <laughs> Well, I'm right kind of smack dab in the middle of it almost. 86. Almost. 85. Baby. You are in the middle of it then. You're a baby. No, I'm just kidding. You're not. Sorry, yeah. I got, I went off course. No, <laughs> no. I, well, and it's funny you say that because I've, I've seen, you're talking about going back and being nostalgic. You'll see that a lot of the t-shirts and the marketing and things that you see now are a lot of those old like even hocus pocus it comes back every year it's one of the oldest movies that i can even remember as far as being a kid and guess but what it, it they're gonna so, remake it and they're gonna remake it yeah why do so, they remake all this stuff it was fine the first time just leave it alone i don't know i don't know one of the reasons I, i'm talking about the 80s also is we was listening to the radio and actually i had it on uh uh a country station and it was just playing songs that I, I didn't have it on Abe. I had it on a different station. I was out of range of Abe and I was just like, man, I just can't listen to this Jason Aldean uh-huh. stuff. So I, I, I changed it and it was on like a, I guess a hip kind of a hip hop station or something. Mm-hmm. And it was playing this song mm-hmm. and I looked down and I was like, is this a, like a class? Is this like a 
classic, classic. rock station or 80 yeah. station and it was some song by the weekend uh-huh you know who that is matt yeah i know the weekend is no the weekend no. No i was listening to it over the weekend saturday or sunday <laughs> <laughs> but now the artist his name is the weekend and he's got uh-huh. some song and i can't even know i don't even know what it's called mm-hmm. but it sounds like straight 80s. a straight 80s song and mm-hmm. i was just i mean kind of sound like a michael jackson song maybe oh wow and i was just like whoa this is taking it back it was anyway all good things come back around i guess that's and then i changed the station (laughs) (laughs) but i was like this sounds like an 80s song it's weird yeah yeah Uh, we have a local station at home that plays a variety of different in this this dj he's from he was a 70s kid so he grew up in the 80s and he says it was the greatest the greatest years and so he plays a lot of that music well speaking of uh nostalgic one of the things that i would like to know because you know i i'm the only girl in this in this group and i had posters on my wall as a child all right as a young can adult. we guess can we guess what you had posters oh yeah of? you go 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 for it because i'm sure you'll probably guess it right hmm what do you think matt do you think it was backstreet boys in sync or 98 degrees which one in sync I'm going Backstreet Boys. You're both right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. And I even <laughs> listen. Yeah, I mean, because you didn't, you didn't get the magazine for the articles. You got it so you could rip the posters out and put them on your wall. And so it was a contest between our friends growing up that we had the most up to date, like the J. The, I can't even remember what the names of some of those magazines were. You would get and you would, um, you would have it and. You could buy them for like a dollar and you'd go plaster your wall. Are there still so, magazines? I think so. so. But I also, I also had some sports pictures up too. Cause I, I was pretty into sports too. So not just music. What about you all? Hmm. They didn't Earnhardt. have any boy band posters. I hope not. No, my, yeah, do you want to guess at what posters I had? Mm, you probably had Kentucky sports. So I had one. And one was a, let's see, a, a Jamal Mashburn. I had a Jamal okay. Mashburn poster. Okay. And also had a Richie Farmer poster. <laughs> so I think everybody we did, might though. not talk about that too much. And <laughs> yeah, and then the Unforgettables, you know, I had mm-hmm. the picture of them underneath yeah. the, there was like a, uh, underneath a movie, uh, there's like a movie theater marquee. lights, yeah. marquee, mm-hmm. and they're standing underneath there. Yep. And I think that was. Wasn't Richie good. Farmer one of the Unforgettables? He was. I thought he was. Yeah. See, See, I can't remember. That's getting a little bit back, but yeah. Yeah, it was Richie Farmer, Sean Woods, John Pelfrey, Darren Feldhouse. Yeah, I had I had Tayshawn Prince. I think he was my he was my main guy. I liked him a whole lot when he was there. Um, Had a a big poster of him. Yeah, that was just a little after my putting posters up on the wall. mm -hmm. But now when I was in college, I had a lot of movie posters and stuff like that, which is a whole other thing. But Mm-hmm. I had a Pirates one actually in my college dorm. I had a Pirates magazine or Pirates Pirates of the Caribbean of the Caribbean. Um, yeah. I thought it was just Pirates. Uh, no Pirates of the Pirate. Caribbean. <laughs> and now my kids are all up into it, so I'm reliving those those movies right now. They love those movies. But uh, we live. We had a lot of posters, and actually, you know, of course, you, the listeners can't see it. You've got UK posters on your wall. I have a yeah. football one on my poster behind me, you know, so we still, and my son right now, he's got 
for the longest time, the ones you could get for football and baseball or basketball season from free from the Kroger and McDonald's and all of those that had the schedule. He yeah, I did forget one. I had a Tim Couch poster oh, yeah. that was on mm-hmm. my wall for a long time. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Now, my husband will tell you he had Michael Jordan and he had, um, oh, there was a baseball player. Can't think of the name. Ken Griffey. Yes. Ken Griffey. I was like the prettiest swing. That's what I was trying to think of. What, it, what was his name? And so he had him as well. I was a big Michael Jordan fan, but I didn't have posters. Mm-hmm. Had all the basketball cards though. Mm-hmm. Still got them. They're probably worth 50 cents. Well, and we got a wedding gift. It was actually a really nice wedding gift, but we got a signed printed print of the LSU game and the Louisville game that we won at home that year in 2007. And it uh, it's signed by a lot of those players. And so it's actually, it was our living room piece for a while. <laughs> so my husband was like, I don't get to decorate anything around here. He said, but I'm putting that on the wall. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so. Dang right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So Matt, what did you have up on your walls? Well, you all guessed everybody else's. So. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You're a tough one. He's not really sports. Not really mm-hmm. sports. But do you, you have know tractors? If I was at the time. I could have been. Oh, I know. Did you have a baseball poster up? No, I had a couple tractor posters up. Were they blue Man, or green? I don't even know what I'm a guess. little ashamed it was green. Yeah. I Ugh. didn't know anybody. That's all right. Kid. It's all right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Because they'd be all blue now, right? Uh-huh. Yep. So they'd match my sports posters. That's right. Yep. No, I had a lot of NASCAR stuff on. Well, oh, I, that was getting see. ready to. I was getting ready to say that actually. Back when NASCAR was cool. Yeah. So who was your drivers? Uh, it was Dale Earnhardt before he died. Well, that's because yeah. everybody, yeah, everybody was a Dale Dale fan. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. I can see that. But that I was, was I was into NASCAR for just a short while, like right in kind of senior year of high school into college a little bit, and I always liked Kevin Harvick. Yeah, he was a homeboy. No, he wasn't. Not him. I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, Oh, I can't think of his name now. We need see Dewalt. Maybe Maybe that was Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth. No, see Matt, you know this stuff. You're supposed to tell us. (laughs) It's all coming back to me. I bet I hadn't watched a NASCAR race in oh me neither years. But I I got into it there for a little while. You couldn't pay me a thousand dollars to sit down and watch one right now. See, my husband hey, and pay me. used to go. Give me yeah. some money. <laughs> Give me thousand dollars. We're gonna watch a NASCAR race. Yeah, my husband uh, used to go all the time. They've been to Talladega and Bristol. Him and his buddies would pack up and go to Bristol every year for the fall gro- race. I went to Bristol up, one time. It was fun. Yeah. Growing up, we used to go to one or two a year mm-hmm. uh, somewhere, and it was fun. And I, I mean, I'm talking about I couldn't sit down and watch one on TV, but I could go to the race. It's and a watch different that. experience, they say. Yeah. yeah. So it's exciting. Which you know what? That's ethanol. There, I think that wasn't mm. there a re- recently. I think was it corn growers that had a big. They spent some money on an NASCAR yeah. or something, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. So I actually just received uh, some information today, and I think you all probably did too about updates on the CFAT program. Yeah. So it. Uh... It looks like from what I'm seeing, the deadline to apply, if you haven't yet, has gotten extended to September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's, what, about a month later than it was supposed to be. I think it was yeah. supposed to have expired this week. But Yeah. 
Uh, they added some specialty crops. I don't think anybody here grows bananas or bok choy, so we won't go too far into that. But uh, what is bok choy? You don't know what bok choy is? Bless that's you. Something that you <laughs> get type at the Chinese restaurant, isn't it? I have a I have a high tunnel producer who raises a lot of it, but oh, it's well, like baby mind. bok choy. Yeah. yeah, make sure he, he knows that it's covered in CFAP. Now. Baby bok yeah, choy. It's, little bitty. it's it's just <laughs> a it's a, in the cabbage family. It's actually really good. You should so, expand your horizons, sure. y'all. I knew what it was, but I didn't know there no, was thanks. Grown around here. <laughs> but for uh, that one, but I'll for us though, on for yeah. lambs, it's it's important too for sheep production. It says they increased it to you can actually count your ewes, your breeding stock as well, over a year old from what I'm reading. Yeah, and so something that uh, will cover everybody that's already applied or if you haven't applied yet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you got that first payment, it was initially just 80% of what your total eligibility was. Right. Uh, they are saying now that there were enough funds, they were holding some of those back in case they uh, miscalculated the, the funding a little bit, but uh, there are enough funds, so FSA is going to automatically go on and issue you the remaining 20% of that calculated payment. Uh, doesn't say anything about a timeline when that'll come along, so don't mm-hmm. start knocking the FSA office's doors <laughs> down, asking where it is and telling them you heard it on Dirt to Dollars. But anyway, uh, so if you haven't applied yet, it looks like uh, if you go on and put your application in now, then you're going to get that 100% payment up front, so you won't get the 80 20 split like Mm -hmm. before you'll just get it all in one lump sum so right so if you've uh if you've already applied for cfap and already got that first payment then and you see a little chunk of money show up direct deposit in your farm account you know where that's coming from that's right yep be a nice little help every little bit counts Real quick uh, on that on the CFAP stuff. Real quick, um, it, when you're talking to people, and if you know, like, yeah, some of y'all listening will hear about this on the show. You might read it in the newspaper, but if you got a neighbor and farmer, mm-hmm. ask them about it. Make sure everybody gets signed up for this because it never fails. September twelfth, yeah. we're gonna get calls in here to the extension office, and they're gonna say, "Hey, where do I sign up for this CFAP that such and such was talking about?" And we're gonna say, oh, "Well, go to the FSA office." But I'm sorry, it's too late. You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. past the deadline, so. As you're talking to people, kind of help spread the word. I know we've done a lot to get the word out about it. And obviously there's, sounds like there's still, you know, the mm-hmm. money it should be there. So let's make sure that we help kind of get the word out to our, our neighbors and fellow farmers right. about this. What about um, short woodland? Yeah, woodlands, woodland Woodland owners short course. Our Department of Forestry does this every year. And it's usually a big uh, in-person program. And they... Uh, they went virtual with it this year. So it may be a good opportunity for folks that maybe don't get the opportunity to go every year to, to listen in online. And they do want us to register. It is free and be looking on our extension pages for that publication and with in that flyer with that information. But they do have, there's a couple of different tracks. So if you're pretty familiar with your woodlands and you want to refresh your course, there are some information informational sessions that you can use but then there's also ones that are basic so like just basic tree identification and are my woods healthy you know those stuff that we get questions on quite a bit actually 
Right. And I get, you know, when I see those courses, I think, oh, well, I'm not a logger. I don't need to sit through those, but it's really not for that. It's for anybody who owns uh, some, some wooded property. Oh, and we yeah. have a lot of people that, that own property like that, even though LaRue County, I think is one of the smallest acreage of woodlands in the state because mainly because we're a small mm -hmm. county and a lot of crop ground but still there's a lot of people that have property with full woods on them and i think that uh a lot of times farmers and farm owners overlook what value they have and they're you know just about every farm has some some wooded ground mm -hmm. on it and, and uh, you don't really know what you're sitting on timber wise or or whatever so it's always good to that kind of or if you get familiar with or that. if you've got wildlife i mean it's even basic wildlife management i know a lot of farmers that do that hunt on their own property or may lease it out to neighbors or whoever to to, to hunt and you know they do they have some information on that as well and i think i've actually really gotten inundated with calls in the last two or three years about hey i'm gonna rent out my woodlands to this person what do i need to do you know and, and so i think that's it's timely information so speaking of wildlife, <laughs> uh, we've had some bear sightings in my camp. Yeah, here the last. Wonder few, if it's the same uh, one that was on the on the campus a couple few weeks ago. On the you doubt, it. doubt it. Oh, I don't know. It it caught a ride from the BG Parkway down yeah. to E Town. They travel though. They travel pretty. Yeah, but no, not by car. But I'm saying, <laughs> unless it's at the circus. You know what I'm saying. They do. They do. They do travel a long way for food. So that's, yeah, I don't, I don't think the E-Town one when it came. Well, and I actually had a picture uh, sent to me from a farmer this morning as a screenshot he'd found on, on Facebook mm -hmm. and he re recognized where the bear was. The picture of it was actually walking out of one of his cornfields. Oh, so, uh, and it's actually an area that what's it been a couple years ago, we had some bear sightings in mm -hmm. Elizabeth town and it was the, on the same road. So yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. just something about that area that attracts them or maybe the same bears come back or what it is, but. Yeah. That's interesting to see though. I mean, they're, they're all over Eastern Kentucky. It's just not as popular around here to see them and people kind of wig out a little bit when they do, but just, if you do see one, I guess what's the protocol called the department of fish and wildlife. I think that's typically what you're supposed to do. set up a picnic basket and have a picnic <laughs> hey hey, hey boo -boo. <laughs> you're such a smart but, no uh, yeah call the department of fish yeah. and wildlife they try they like to track them and I, I know and don't i mean I, a lot of people like to get out their cameras and take video but do so at a very safe distance if you do yeah that. i mean it's nice to see it's not the time not the time to be tiktok famous <laughs> <laughs> for however much longer we have tiktok yeah so now we're getting into the weeds. <laughs> Proverbial weeds. About who's our, who do we have as a guest today? Where were we doing? Uh, we were going to, yeah, Chad? we're going to have Chad Lee yeah. on. He's, he's. Well, do you want to introduce him for sure. us? All right. Well, this week we've got with us Dr. Chad Lee, our grain extension specialist. Uh, he's joining us again this week. This is your second time, I think, with us. So we're glad you could join us again. Oh, I'm really glad to be back. Thank you. Are on the, I guess if you want to call it the short rows, we're towards the end of growing season and you all put out some information late uh, last week that you all have updated your yield contest information. And so we thought this would be a really good time to kind of talk about that and uh, give us the latest and greatest on that. Sure. So every year we have a Kentucky yield contest 
And that's different from the NCGA National Corn Yield Contest. Uh, some of the guidelines are a little bit different. For NCGA, you've got to enter that ahead of time and have various fields set up, and then you choose which fields to harvest at the end. In our case, we're just taking a harvested, uh, a filled out harvested worksheet in as an entry. And so oftentimes in our content, you know, what we do is we do allow somebody to make a copy of their NCGA entry and send that in to us with the agronomic information. And we'll count that as an entry in the, into the UK test. But about half of our entries are unique to Kentucky. And so, you know, a farmer gets into a field and all of a sudden they got a good yield and then they'll stop and get, get a county agent a phone call and do a yield <laughs> yeah. check. And then that comes into us and it's, pretty frequent that it's actually one of those Kentucky unique entries uh, tend to do very, very well in the contest overall. Right. So you've got, we've got several different options. There's the irrigated, non-irrigated, conventional till, no-till. So if you enter in the contest, you're comparing with like individuals and like farms in that situation. You are. So we have the tilled, no-tilled, which are both in non-irrigated. We have a white corn, which is non-irrigated. And then we have the irrigated division and irrigated encompasses all of those. Um, and so we're, we picked divisions that we think are better representative of Kentucky. You know, the white corn is, is um, unique to us. It's not something you see on the national contest, but we do have a few acres of it in the state, a fair bit of acres of it in the state. And we, we tried to do is we try to set up our guidelines to where they're fairly similar to NCGA so that if somebody's doing an NCGA test, ours fit pretty closely to it. I think maybe in the past, one of the biggest differences was the supervisors, how many you had to have. Mm -hmm. But in, in both situations, you got to harvest 1.25 acres. In both situations, you got to start out with the five acre area that's not been touched. You got to have a field size of at least 10 acres. And that 10 acres is one single hybrid. Um, and it's one single hybrid at a consistent row spacing as well throughout the field. Um, and so you could have, you know, in theory, a farmer could have an 80 acre field and they could, they could have eight different hybrids and that could make eight different fields um, if they had it all laid out correctly and, and set up in the right way. And that would be not counting your exterior rows. So you can't, you can't include um, end rows in that harvest as well. So that's some of the compare and contrast between the two. I know that uh, used to, we, we were kind of talking about this uh, recently about how they've changed where back when I first started doing uh, corn contests in, in the county I was previously at, you had to over 300 bushels, you had to have an actual second person come out and check. So, you know, if you even think that you're going to have that over, then you probably need to be calling two county agents or, you know, somebody that is or a supervisor that can mm -hmm. do that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And we've moved that up the last couple of years to mm -hmm. our limit now is at 325. Yeah. If you're at 325 or above or think you're going to be there, you're better off to get two supervisors right off the bat. If you do that, you've got two supervisors and yield comes in above that, then we're going to allow that single single yield to stand as is. We're not going to make you go do a recheck. And I think that's a little bit different than NCGA, I think. It is. Um, yep. Yeah. So if you've got just one supervisor though, and that yield comes in at 325 or above, then you have to get a second person out there and do the recheck. And so that's, that's probably one distinctive difference. And then our 
Kentucky only contest, we've got Kentucky only kind of around that to highlight that's very different. That's different from NCGA. The second thing that I think people forget is when they turn in an NCGA contest, if they want to enter the UK test, they still have to send us the information. Mm -hmm. And so almost every year, somebody fails to send information into us. They have a decent yield. It shows up decent on NCGA, but it doesn't show up in ours. And uh, every, every few years I have to calm somebody down over that scenario. <laughs> uh, so if you've got, if you're going to enter the NCGA, go ahead and send us a copy of it. Yeah, well, sense. and it's likely if you're going to enter NCGA that you're going to have an extension agent come out and measure that anyway. And, and what I usually do is do the initial measurements and stuff on the UK forms, and then we can transfer that over to the yeah. NCGA website to make sure that it gets entered in both. That's exactly what I do. Makes that's it a, easier. That's a, that's a really good way to do it. We tried to streamline our form to where it fairly closely matched the NCGA form as well. We were trying to, avoid errors between the two um, in that process. And then I've been fortunate, probably the last, I think 10 years or so, I've actually sat on the NCGA committee and, um, you know, provided little, little tidbits of information here or there. It's, it's kind of a fun group to listen to in terms of, because there are several farmers involved with that, farmers that are, you know, well-known in the yield contest circles. And uh, it's interesting to hear their experiences with the contest also. And I think that's helped us do a better job of getting ours streamlined. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Kentucky had a contest first and then NCGA came along later. Uh, and, but, but for Kentucky producers, we've tried to meld the two together as best we can. I guess we could ask uh, Rankin Powell in Union County how long, how many years he did contests before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rankin would be able to know. He would know, I think. He'd give you the history. And, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I mean, he every year, it. every year he would be the, he'd be the high entry agent, mm -hmm. right? And it's, yep. uh, that's just his, over time, his counties, his, his county and his farmers, yeah. They, they just do yield contests. I mean, he does a bunch of soybean contests, a bunch of wheat ones as well. I was going to say, we hope you enter the Kentucky contest because we do have our Kentucky Commodity Conference mm -hmm. and uh, we do give out some state awards. And so it's a nice way to, to mix and mingle with uh, other farmers in Kentucky and businesses in Kentucky and such. And so it's nice to at least get together and compare some of those notes. NCGA is fun to go to as well. But that's a you know, commodity classic is a whole nother uh, animal uh, or event to go to. And it's just a much bigger event. And this is, this is kind of nice and, and uh, gets us, gives us a chance to catch up with everybody across the state. We hope it, it will be, get to be in person this year. Let's all hope that it happens. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but there, we also, we have, uh, how many typically do you have enter into the corn yield contest throughout the, you know, just average. I know it varies. Yeah. It's, year. It's about 140, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, what will happen is a lot of folks will have, they may have three, four different NCGA entries, which you all are part of, but they'll turn in their best one to us in the category. So they may not send in the others to us. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also have, I, I think at least the last five years, there's almost always a rumor somewhere in the county that somebody hit <laughs> this 400 bushel yield, <laughs> right? Or yeah. 450 or 375. And when I get all the entries in, lo and behold, I never see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, the phone never rings when they say they hit those yields. It, right. Nobody ever right. calls. I don't. I don't right. Know. So I think it's, uh, 
I think whoever's getting an early entry in just starts to send that out just to just to uh, kind of tweak their neighbors a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Or they Far- farmers would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, or you get the infamous call of, well, I've it's really good. You need to come out and look at it. And then once you get through with the calculations, it's not as great as they thought it was. And they're like, meh. Well, and a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of that is yield monitors because yeah. we is. have, you know, the yield monitors can, can really be off sometimes and you yes. really think you've got something great. And so, I mean, it, it's a little discouraging when you realize that it's off like that. Uh, but at the same time, it's important yeah. to know, I mean, yeah. even if, even if you don't enter that yield check, it, it helped to calibrate, calibrate combine a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I'll add about, um, you know, when you get in those fields and you do see you have these monster yields, don't hesitate to give us a call. Yeah. There's a chance we may not be able to come out right then, but there's also a pretty good chance we can. If we, I mean, I know I try to keep my schedule flexible in the fall and I know, uh, typically most of us here in central Kentucky do in Western Kentucky, especially when we're dealing with a lot of grain crops, uh, we try to be flexible and be able to come out if we can. Um, but if we can't, you know, if you can cut around it and skip over to another field and come back, we'll, we'll definitely try to get in there to get it, to get it ran and measured. And also if we're trying to get two agents to come and, you know, we, we need another one to, to help witness that it's sometimes it's a little difficult to be there in five minutes. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. So on the other side of that, if you have a good spot or you have, I know we have several that have dedicated contest spots or contest fields here. Too give us as much of a heads up as you can of when, I mean, you, you're going to know within four or five days or at least a couple of days when you're going to be there, give us as much of a heads up as you can so we can get it on our schedules. And I can uh, tell you from experience, Matt doesn't like to walk and measure all the rows himself. He likes to split <laughs> it up with another agent in a neighboring County. So typically my phone will ring pretty soon after Matt's rings. Well, and that's, that's interesting. <laughs> well, and I, that's, I just that's hope it's not as that. hot as it was in September last oh. year. I think I lost 10 pounds measuring corn. Last I feel September. like we, there were several pictures sent throughout, I think between the three of us that were kind of, Oh my gosh, is it going to get any hotter today? This is miserable, <laughs> you know? So, but it is, but it's, I really, that's one of the fun parts of my job is I do like to get out and visit with them because you see them in their element and they're usually, they're going pretty hard. The farmer's but it also gives them a chance to, you know, chat with you and see how things are going and talk about the yields and the varieties. And, and typically it's a really good experience. And it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like it, the, especially the guys that have their dedicated spots, they're trying different things and, and mm-hmm. they get excited. And it's, I mean, it's like harvest is for, for all of us in ag. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to see your work pay off and see mm-hmm. what you have at the end. So. One thing I would say is if a farmer has got a good spot and you can't get out there right away, make sure you leave at least five acres mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't do a, an area where you've got several passes kind of cutting the field apart. Leave at least a five acre block together because you've got to have that when you start out. You've got to have a yes. 10 acre minimum, but you've got to have at least five acres that haven't been touched mm-hmm. when you start the process. Right. Um, I, I've, I've had the unfortunate, um, mess of walking into a field where there have been multiple passes already taken out mm-hmm. well we've got to you can't do it right here we got to move down or we got to yeah. shift and that's yeah. that's not a fun conversation <laughs> it's not it's not and a lot of our folks that do it from year to year know that but if you are a newer grower and you've got some opportunity this year to try to enter the contest yeah make sure you leave that 
Chad, I was going to put you on the spot real quick. What's a, Do you know what the number to beat is? What's our record in that contest? You are putting me on the spot. I think we've been <laughs> up around uh, 330, I believe, is where we're at. Um, That's non-irrigated? That's actually a non, I believe a non-irrigated yield is our highest yield. Let me let me check that check it out real quick. Ask me a different question. <laughs> so well, here's another question: If you yeah. are new to running a plot, never done it before, um, one thing to remember is that you can't do it into a way wagon. Uh, it t- tends to be a question or a or mm-hmm. a comment that gets made a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, well, got such and such can get over here with a way wagon. Can we run this plot uh, for a yield contest? And you actually have to use uh, certified scales for that. Mm-hmm. So that's just uh, one thing to remember. Um, you definitely, when you when you call us, we'll walk you through that. But can't can't use a way wagon for for yield contests. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's it can be discouraging. But you'd be surprised the amount of certified scales that are around if you just call and ask. Right. You know, a lot of our right, we've measured it fertilized or rock quarries or fertilized mm-hmm. plants or mm-hmm. you can get creative. <laughs> <laughs> you can get creative, just as long as you have that ticket. So I did look this up finally. Thank you for giving me the time to to catch that up. So our our highest non-irrigated yields have been the last three years. They've all been at 319. Wow. And then some change. All been 319 and some change. We had an irrigated yield back in 2013 that was at 365.11. And that was the Schwinsky brothers up in Boone County on Mm -hmm. an an irrigated area. And they've they've got some really good soil with center pivots on top and then they're they're phenomenal managers as well so uh, that combination but some 319s the last three years in a row 319 on a non-irrigated system is what's won the contest for us so hey it's pretty good so chad i know one thing that i have that hangs farmers up sometimes on that form is some of the agronomic data they're a little reluctant to share some of that can you explain a little bit how that gets used and what what does and doesn't get published and whatnot on that well what we've done is we've tried to group that together so i'll I'll typically put down um you know the common management practices of the state winners for example and i might go through and look at like average planting date average fertilizer rate Average number of times nitrogen was applied. I think that's a useful question. Um, And some of those things get put in. And so I think about two or three years ago, we stopped reporting specifically on each grower in that report. And we've just got them kind of grouped together. That information I think is helpful. gives us some idea about what efficiencies are taking place. It gives us some idea about what's a farmer trying in that area that might be above and beyond what we currently recommend. And I think that's useful for us if I'm getting good data in on that, it becomes useful to us to say, well, you know, you know, five of these winners all use this practice. Maybe we should investigate that further uh, on, on some conditions and see if there's something to it. And so I think that part's useful. I think it's useful for the other growers as well, but you're right. Some people will, will sort of guard that like they got the secret sauce and the secret <laughs> recipe on what's going on. Um, and, and you see a lot of that, with some of the national winners that, uh, <laughs> that there's some secret sauce going on on what they're doing. And um, it's a good way to charge for the information, <laughs> which is completely opposite of what we do. Right. We try yeah. to, we try to get all the information out there that we can as much as possible. We provide it for free. And then, um, and then we end up finding ourselves saying, well, that can't just be it. Yeah. <laughs> there's gotta right. be more to it. So Anyhow, so it's really helpful to, to have that accurate information for us. Uh, 
Well, and like you said, it's good to know what general practices are being used. And like you said, we may give you all the information, but you're not going to put it out all the way to the public. You're going to group it. And so it's good for information yeah. for even you all as the specialists to have. And us in the counties, if, you know, we want to see practices that are changing and growing. So uh, do you happen to have any information on the, I know the soybean trial or soybean yield contest isn't public yet, but is it, I mean, are you all working on getting that uh, finalized as well? Or Yeah. So Carrie, Carrie works on that with the soybean board. I should, I should mention these contests are sponsored by the commodity boards. And then there's, mm -hmm. there's also support coming in from other agribusinesses as well. Um, and that's what, that's what allows us to give out awards and things like that. So the university, we, we conduct the contest, but our commodity groups are the ones that really pay for a lot of the, uh, the, the, the awards that come through. Uh, I think it's a three acre minimum on the soybean mm -hmm. side that you've got to have. And in that case, it is a continuous block mm -hmm. and you're harvesting the entire three acre area off of it. Um, so that's a little bit different than not as easy as corn. <laughs> Right. right. I, I'll, argue, I'll argue it's a little easier. Yeah, so I, do. I, don't I think know. it is too. I think it's easier. Yeah, uh, well, I don't have square fields in my county. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah you, you get, you all put some very interesting drawings on the back of those. <laughs> yeah. It looks like, you know, sometimes it looks like with my little daughter when she's like just yeah. kind of scribbling and uh, yeah, it, yeah. it can look like that sometimes. Yeah. 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 But it brings back a whole lot of geometry. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Those of you that said you'd never use it again, well, here you go. <laughs> I, you know, and you can I can attest to that because my son will argue, I don't have to use this. Oh, son, I use it every day. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any updates on just general corn progress across the state? I know you hear, you know, we're based in central Kentucky, but we try right. to kind of get an idea of what's going on across the state. What's What's the latest on that? Well, I just drove to Princeton today and then came back as well. So I sort of, you know, saw along the parkways what we've got. Later, we can have another discussion about the best gas stations and, and restrooms <laughs> along the parkway. I've got a list. But, you probably uh, <laughs> do, yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, overall, the, you know, the, the ratings went up on corn the last week. Uh, so we're sitting at a real high percent of good to excellent, which is, which is very encouraging. Um, we're probably, we've probably got about maybe 10% of our crop or so that's going to mature, get to black layer. In the next two weeks, we probably have another, I'm going to guess another 50% that'll get to black layer in the next four weeks. And so you're looking at a tremendous amount of this crop getting to black layer pretty quickly on us. The rains we had come through yesterday, today, certainly for the stuff in Western Kentucky, it's finished up. So the rains really benefited the soybean crop, not so much the corn. There was plenty mm -hmm. of moisture out there already. But for us in central Kentucky, uh, the bluegrass area, it's really helped us out. And so that'll help us very well, puts us in good shape going forward. Uh, we were a little bit low on rainfall this last week, but we were also low on temperature. And the mm -hmm. week before we were above on rainfall. And so that all sort of averages out as well. And so I think for the majority of the state, uh, we've been in decent water condition as well. So it, we should be set up for a very good corn crop. We should be set up for a lot of fields to be entered in the yield contest as well. I think in terms of scouting and such, we're still concerned about southern rust, and so we've got to watch for that. Um, I know that there's been some pockets in the state where they've had to spray, and uh, I think it's a it's a good decision to make this year. Uh, if you've if you've got southern rust in the area and you can find it, um, then going out and getting it sprayed at the right time certainly makes sense. And there's still a good bit of corn in that stage. Um, what else? 
kind of went through the list on, yeah. on, on progress. That's pretty good. I, maybe the last thing I would say is it, it, I don't know about you, but it always, maybe that's part of the growing up on a farm. You, you sort of always say, well, we got a good crop, but until it's actually in the bin or being sold, it's not a good crop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you count can look the at, eggs till they're hatched. Right. And you see what happened in Illinois and Iowa last night yeah. with a lot of those fields that got knocked over. Um, from what I understand, a lot of that corn didn't break, mm-hmm. but it's also late enough in the year where a lot of it really won't come back upright, or at least not very much. It may lift up a little bit, but it's not going to be like it would have been if it had been a month ago and it blew over. And so now you've got corn that's laying on the ground and it's trying to finish out seed fill and, you know, good luck on getting grain drying to work well. Yeah. And it looks like the area where the fields got laid flat, you also had grain bin damage. And so I was going to say, yeah, it was double-edged sword there. Right. So, yeah. So those farmers, exactly. Now they really need to dry that grain and they don't have the capacity to do so at the moment either. So, I, you know, I really hate what they're going through at the moment right now. So, Chad, just to ask a kind of a random question to an agronomist about that while we've got you on the air, what a that corn that's laying on the ground that's trying to finish grain fill right now, is that going to affect how it takes in sunlight anyhow? Or what, what are some of the effects you think that might have on that crop? Yeah, it greatly reduces photosynthesis because you've got a lot of corn laying on top of each other, right? And right. so yeah. if you sort of look at the like tiles on a roof, uh, the corn plants at the edge of the field that are still getting the most sunlight, they'll take up quite a bit of it. But anything else in the field that has corn laying on top of it, you've lost a tremendous amount of photosynthetic capacity. Um, a lot of this corn at this point in time is still has active photosynthesis going on about two to three leaves below the ear leaf, mm-hmm. which is a difference in a modern hybrid that the old ones wouldn't do that. They would be above the ear. So the corn plants used to taking a lot of light down into the canopy right now. That's just not getting in there. And so if the, if the stalk's not broken over, it'll still produce photosynthesis. It'll still pull up nutrients It'll still try to do seed fill. It'll cannibalize the stalks to finish Mm -hmm. out that seed fill. Um, But you're probably looking at um, 10, 15% yield loss, um, sort of on the low end of assuming you can go ahead and get it harvested Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have any more issues. Now for them, the best case scenario would be no more rain on the corn, let right. those ears go ahead and dry down some, and you may even get to field, you know, even get to, uh, to, to dry enough to where you can go and just sell it directly and not even have to store it. That would be their mm-hmm. best case scenario. Yeah. yeah. And who knows at this point <laughs> what the weather right. will do. So that's an interesting topic though, because we do get a lot of questions about what happens when corn does come over all over. If you've got a rain event or anything like that, wind event, significant wind event. Yeah. Well, then the, the short answer is it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and luckily we dodged that bullet here last night it yes. kind of died down before it got to us i know we were watching it pretty closely a lot of us were i was i got a barn that's barely hanging on <laughs> <laughs> it comes through here i'm gonna have to build a new barn just got this one fixed yeah. <laughs> obviously not well enough it's an old barn <laughs> You might might want to leave leave a few boards off of it on purpose. Yeah, so it I, might, I, I did. Not, you know, doesn't act like a parachute. Well, it wasn't on purpose. But it's, <laughs> just didn't got get good airflow. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, uh, Chad, I think that that pretty well covers what we were going to discuss today. If unless you've got any final words, I think we'll uh, wrap it up and let you get back to doing what you do best. 
No, I, I appreciate you all. Appreciate this, this podcast. You're doing a great job with it. And it's, it's good to see you all. All right. Well, you too. Take care all right. of yourself. Thanks, Chad. Thanks. Thank see you. ya. See ya. All right. Well, I guess that, I think we're about out of time, guys. Um, same time next week. Yep. Yep. Well, all right. Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see y'all next week.